Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cuban. messages from the book of Amos convicted me. But can I tell you this? At the end of it all, there's a truth in the book of Amos that is overwhelmingly gracious and merciful. I've titled this sermon today, this teaching today, There Will Come a Day. And I'm going to talk about what's going to happen in that day. But before I do that, I'm going to start in verse 8. I want to talk to you about how God is going to determine who's judged and who isn't. Verse 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. And I know you're all, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You just said this is going to be gracious. It doesn't sound very gracious to me. It's gracious in the next sentence. Nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. God will always save a remnant for himself. He will always save his people amongst, from, out from amongst the people. Those who are obedient, those who are reverent, those who give their life to Christ can count on one truth. And that truth is that he will not destroy them. Nevertheless, I'm going to destroy everything around you except you. Because you belong to me. And then he continues by saying this. And behold, I am commanding. And I will shake the house of Israel amongst all the nations. As grain is shaken in a sieve. But, now, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say the calamity will not overtake or confront us. And so he says, I am not going to destroy everyone. But let me tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to put everybody in a sieve. And I'm going to shake them and test them. And make sure that they're worthy to be called mine. And I'm going to separate the shaft from the weed or the shaft from the kernel in this instance. And the shaft is going to blow away or fall through. But I'm not going to lose a single kernel that belongs to me. This is such a blessing. Listen to me. Because so many of us walk around feeling like we're less, like we're condemned, like God doesn't love us, like they love so and so. Let me tell you, he says not a single kernel will fall to the ground. He sees you where you are. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows the troubles that you have, and He loves you as intimately and longs for you as much as He does any other person that's ever lived on the face of the earth. He paid the same blood for you that He paid for every other person He's ever given His life for. Not a single kernel will fall to the ground. And we praise God for that. That's a word of grace. Because we deserve to fall to the ground. But we don't. And so he says, you deserve it. You have it coming. But. And why did they deserve it? They deserved it for all the reasons we've talked about. We deserve it for all the reasons we talk about. False religion. Irreverence towards God. Taking advantage of the poor, the weak amongst us. Discrediting the house of God. All of these reasons. We deserve to be judged. But God tells us he's not going to give the believer judgment. Instead, he tells us this, 
that there will come a day. In verse 11, there will be a day. <clears throat> and I want to talk about what that day is today. But I'm going to, let me read Amos 9, 11 through 15 before we get started. In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the reaper of grapes him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. Also I will restore the captivity of my people Israel and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. Amen. And so he says, there will be a day. And I want to talk about what day that is. There will be a day, point one, when God will restore them. There will be a day when God will restore them. And by them, us. Now I need you to remember that Amos is talking to a particular people. He's talking to Israel in the physical. But what is true physically for the Israelites is true spiritually for us. Because we've been grafted in. We don't believe in replacement theology. We don't believe that God's taken the promise from Israel. But they're going to suffer and suffer a lot before they finally come to a realization that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But they haven't been done away with. We've just been added to. And so the promise is given to them, is given to us. So what is God saying to them? I want to cover that real quick. He is saying specifically, in that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David. He's going to raise up the throne. David, he'll, he'll raise again, once again, the throne of David. But it's in such a shamble right now, or then, that he called it the hut of David. You ever wonder why in Matthew they have to explain the genealogy? And Matthew's written to prove that the Messiah is who he said he was to the Jew? Because the, the, the lineage of Jesus had been so decimated, become such a shadow that nobody remembered who was who and who they belonged to. They should have followed this lineage. They should have known that from the seed of David will come the Messiah. That's what the Bible told them. That's what the Old Testament told them, but they forgot. So God is saying, there will come a day when I will restore the throne of David. And he restores that throne of David for us through Christ Jesus. He is saying to Israel, not only will I restore their throne, but I will restore your house walling up its breaches, raising up its ruins. A breach in the wall is essentially a hole in the wall, a crack in the wall, big enough for men to walk through. That was done physically for Israel, mostly in the book of Nehemiah, where he fixed the walls and replaced the gates and did all that stuff. But I'll tell you, there's a truth for us too. We're going to get to that in just a minute. That there will come a day... When not only will he restore the throne of David, but he will restore the nation of Israel. 
And God restores by restoring their calling. Anybody have any idea? And I'm not, I guess I really don't want to answer. Why the nation of Israel was, why God chose the nation of Israel? The Bible says because they were mighty and great, right? That's not what the Bible says at all. They were the least amongst the people. So why did he choose them? Because he wanted to. Because he loved them. But he chose them for a purpose, for a calling. And that calling was pre to be priests and kings to the nations so that through them other nations, all nations, might be blessed. And so he's saying to Israel here, he says, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. I will restore them. That they may possess the remnant of Edom. Edom was their natural, their, their historical enemy. So he says, I'm even going to restore their enemy to me through them. And all nations who are called will be called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So there's three promises to Israel here. That they're going to restore, the, God's going to restore the throne of David. God's going to restore the house of God. And God is going to restore their calling. And he made the same promises to us. And I, my hope is, my plan is to walk through, walk through those. God restores us by raising up the fallen booth of David in the person of Christ Jesus. Does anybody know why Jesus came? And I would take a blurred out answer. Anybody have any idea why Jesus came? Save the lost. Proclaim the kingdom of God for the purpose of saving the lost. Right? We were lost. Many amongst us are still lost. Jesus came that we might be restored back to the Father because we were lost. This is most evidently seen to me, most beautifully seen to me, in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. The whole point in all of that is whether you're a sheep, whether you're a coin, or whether you're the prodigal son, God is looking. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come here and look for you. Because we are all lost, both by nature and by action. It's interesting that He uses these illustrations because sheep, by their very nature, wander off and get lost. A coin, by its very nature, will get lost or picked up or moved or if they're not somebody's not paying attention to it. A people by their action will get lost. By the decision they made will get lost. And so he's saying, You're lost. We were lost. God intends to restore us. In that day, when Jesus comes back, when Jesus has come, when the throne of David was restored in Christ Jesus through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, we will be restored and found. That we were lost both by nature, like the sheep and the coin, and by action, like man. This is what the Bible tells us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he found us. What did he do with us? The, the, the nature would be to destroy us. The, the right thing to do would be to destroy us. The, well, not the right thing, because he's perfectly just. But the thing that you would expect him to do is to destroy us. But he didn't. Instead, he paid for us. 
Bible says he shed his blood to pay a debt we couldn't pay. That we owed a paycheck for our sin, but he wrote that check in his own blood so we wouldn't have to. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We have been restored through the throne of David, Christ Jesus. That should be beautiful to us. Not only did he find us, not only did he restore us, but according to the word of God, then he transformed us. He regenerated us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Did you guys catch that? God found you, paid for you, which means you don't belong to you anymore. You know, it's interesting to me. I'm going to get on a side trail maybe here just a minute. It's interesting to me that people say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. But you never declare Jesus Christ is your Lord, which means He can't be your Savior. If you're not willing to make Him your Lord, the Bible doesn't say declare with your mouth Jesus Christ is Savior and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead and you'll be saved. What does it say? It says declare with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord. Because only when He's Lord can He be Savior. And if He's Lord then we allow that transformation process to begin to happen in us because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we should be a new creature. We should act like a new creature. We should pursue new creature things. We should take on the persona of Christ himself and Christ's likeness all the days of our life, trying to be perfection, even though we know we won't see absolute perfection until we see him. Ooh, I'm about to talk myself out of breath. But it's important. Can we, can we say the truth? And that's that we don't belong to us. We were slaves to sin. When I was a sinner, I was good at sinning. Whatever sin told me to do, I did. And we don't give God, who sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for us, the same courtesy we gave our sin. If we're going to be governed by our sin pre-salvation, we need to be governed by Christ in our post-salvation. This is why we invite the Spirit in or welcome the Spirit in. Have your way with me. Mold me. Put me on that potter's wheel, as Pastor Rick enjoys saying. Cut out of me what shouldn't be in me. I had a guy ask me not very long ago, he said, how, how can I know that I'm saved? And it's a good question. It's a question, sadly, a lot of Christians ask. First thing I ask them is, did you say and mean that Romans 10, 9 prayer, declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead? Because the Bible says, and then you will be saved. But you have to believe it from your heart. You can't just say it. I said, and then James has a three-pronged test. I talked to him about that for a minute. So there's ways within the scripture that you can know that you're saved, that you're good. But can I tell you, there's one true way to know that you're saved, one absolute way to know that you're saved, is that you're not the same person you were the day you got saved. I love my altars. I don't know if y'all know this. A couple of y'all do because you were here then. I built these altars. And I've seen... Hundreds probably of people come here and weep and cry and have an emotional response. But they leave here the same egg that they walked up here as. They never become the chicken that we count. 
What do I mean by that? I mean, we count our chickens too soon. They gave their life to the Lord. Did they? Or did they have an emotional response at the altar? I can't say one way or the other, but I can tell you a year from now, if that's still an egg, we have a problem. I told a guy one time, I said, if, if after five years of you giving your life to the Lord, you don't look different than you did the day you gave your life to the Lord, you probably didn't give your life to the Lord. Because I can't imagine having tasted grace the way that I've tasted grace. And I'm not being braggadocious, this is the truth. The way that I've tasted grace and not bend everything that I am to the will of the Scripture or do the best that I can and repent when I fall short. And so I told him, I said, Five, one, ask yourself this question. If somebody saw you today, would they ask you, what's different about you? And if their answer is, or if your answer is nothing, then you probably ain't nothing different about you. I say all this to say, God found us. He restored us by sending his son Jesus. He paid for us. He regenerated us. And he expects us to walk in Christ's likeness because he paid a price for us. Secondly, God restores us by claiming us as a part of his own house. I told you guys in this, this text here, it says, and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins. Back in the day when you were going to seal a breach, fix a breach, you would place stones there. You would batch stones that fit perfectly in there, as perfectly as you could make them. And then you'd concrete or cement or whatever it is they used to compound back then to do it. But if they could, if they could chisel the stone and make it fit perfectly square, I was at the, the base of the temple. And there's no mortar there. There's no anything. There's like 35 foot long, I don't know how they moved them, rocks, however many feet deep, six or eight feet high. And they're laid in there like they were cut with an X-Acto knife. Do you know God's done the same thing to you? He's restored you by making you part of his house. Let me read something to you. Hebrews 2, 4 through 5, and coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. He's restoring you back to his house, which means that he's loved you and loves you enough to chisel some stuff off you. I told the last service, I can't imagine what funky cesspool pond my rock came out of the bottom of. But I know when it finally came out, it was greasy. And it was slimy. And it was not suited to be in the spiritual house of God. But God chiseled me, scraped me, chiseled me, washed me, chiseled me some more. It made me fit into the house of God. He restored to the house of God, restored me to the house of God. And he will do the same for you. And if he has done the same for you, you should love him for it. <clears throat> God also restores us by giving us a purpose. He says they possess the remnant of Edom, their historical enemy, like I said, and the nations that are called by my name. They were given a purpose. We were given a purpose. Our purpose is the same purpose as their purpose. Their purpose is our purpose. They purpose is the purpose. 
Anybody know what the purpose of man is? It's three, it's three parts in my view. If I had to write something down, I would write this down. I'd memorize it and live my life according to it. Glorify God first. And in this order. Glorify God. Make Him known. And enjoy Him forever. This is the threefold purpose of man. And through Christ Jesus, we have been made to be witnesses just as Israel should have been witnesses of his greatness and his mercy. Do we, let me just ask you a question. Do you live your life in a way that you glorify God in all things? That people want to become or come into relationship with Jesus because of the relationship that you have? And do you truly understand what it is to enjoy time with God? Do you pray? Do you meditate? Do you sit in silence and let God talk to you? This is our greater purpose. To glorify him in all things. To make him known according to Matthew chapter 28, 28 and 29, I think. I think that's right. And to enjoy him forever. So there's a day coming when he will restore us in all of these ways. But there's also a day coming when he will bless us. Romans, or correction, Amos 13 and 14 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. Then the mountains will drip sweet wine, and the hills will be dissolved. And I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. And so he's saying, there's going to be a day when I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a rough go of it. Even the people that belong to me. You're going to be put in exile. Some of y'all are going to wander off to Egypt. But you, for a long time, for quite some time, you're going to struggle. You're going to suffer. But ultimately, I'm going to bring you to a place of blessing. And this is the blessing. I, I've, I've kind of outlined very simply the blessing promise of Israel back then. The physical blessing. That there will be a day when they will return from exile. There will be a day when they once again see the harvest. There will be a day when they once again live in plenty and live in, your, in their own houses, not the houses of slavery or exile. This is what he's telling them. But can I tell you, he's saying the same thing to his people today. He is saying, there will come a day when I will bless you. There is coming a day when I will bless you. There is coming a day when I will bless you. And I'm going to bless you so abundantly, you're not even going to know what to do with all the blessings that you have. You know, Pastor Jim, that sounds like a prosperity gospel. I serve a prosperous God. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's the truth of the Word of God. Listen to me. Listen to this. People 30 years ago in Wilson County would, understand, would have understood this a little bit better than they do now because there's not as many farmers as there used to be. But it says, When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. So let me explain to you the process of agriculture. <coughs> you plow the ground then you sow the seed then you reap then you stomp the grapes but he's saying listen I'm going to mess all that up there's going to be so much blessing on, on my people that they're going to plow the ground they're going to seed they're going to harvest 
they're going to stomp the grapes, and then they're going to seed, and then they're going to har harvest the grapes, then they're going to stomp the grapes, then they're going to harvest again, and one right after the other. There's going to be no in-between. It's just over and over and over and over again until their barns can't even be able to hold all that I'm going to pour out on them. And that's exactly what God has done for us. And people are, oh, I'm not that blessed. I dare you to go anywhere in the world and say those, have those same words come out of your mouth. Because you are that blessed. But there's still a greater blessing for God's people. It's a spiritual blessing. I'm not knocking that blessing. Praise God for a nice car, nice house, extra little extra money in your pocket. But you could take all of that for the spiritual blessing of God. Ephesians 1, 1 through 6 reads like this. He tells us what spiritual blessings there are in God. And let me tell you, these are the blessings that I stand on. These are the blessings that you should be holding to. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So first off and foremost, we are blessed because God extended us grace. He showed us compassion when He should have burned us to the ground. And because He showed us grace and because He loves us, we should have peace beyond all comprehension. Not because of our condition, but because of our position. Too many of us say, if I don't got, then God must not love me. That's absolutely not true. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we've been blessed in the spiritual places too. God has held nothing good spiritually back from you through Christ Jesus. And when the Bible says good spiritual blessings, I don't know what that is, but anything that I've ever heard or read in the Word of God that God called good was super good. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. According to the kind intention of His will. Because He wanted to, is what that means. Just because I wanted to, I've determined from the foundations of the earth that I would save you, that I would adopt you as my own, and that I would keep you through Christ Jesus. And we stand and we mope with our bottom lips sticking out, thinking we ain't blessed. I don't care what kind of house you live in or what kind of house you don't live in, what kind of car you drive or if you walk. I don't, I don't care about any of those things. I want the best for you. But I want you to understand that your blessing doesn't come from stuff. Your blessing comes from the fact that the creator of the universe put a price and paid that price for you. Hmm. Finally, there will come a day when God will establish them forever. Amos says this, And I'll, I will also, in verse 15, I will also plant them in their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land which I have given them, says the Lord your God. Huh. That's good stuff right there. Let me tell you why that's good. Because the greatest blessing is that he's going to establish us forever. All this stuff doesn't matter. 
To Israel, that, mean the, that meant the promised land. They're a very promised land-oriented people. They think, as long as my feet are planted in a promised land, I'm blessed. Because of the seed that I'm from, I'm blessed. But let me tell you what they don't understand, but they will one day, is that they don't serve a geographical God. They serve a universal God. And God is determined to plant you forever in the new Jerusalem. And there, provided we don't lose our hope, that we don't lose our faith, that we endure in Christ Jesus, regardless of what's going on around us, we have this promise. Revelation 21, 4. That there will be a place where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. Are y'all hearing me? Those of you that have had a hard life, that are having a hard life, that are missing a loved one, that, that don't understand why such and such happens, why sickness happens, why pain happens. I wish I had those answers for you, except that we live in a fallen world. But the answer I do have for you is if you'll keep faith, maintain your hope and endure, there'll be a time when that tears that you cried will be cried no more. That death that you experienced, there'll be death no more. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the fact that there will be a day when God restores me God blesses me, and God establishes me forever. And I look forward to the day he does the same for you. But can I tell you, we only have access to those promises, those truths, if we pay attention to the first eight and a half chapters of Amos. If we don't abuse the privilege we've been given to be in Christ Jesus. There's so many ways that we can sin against God. It's time that the people of God start paying attention. Start listening to the Spirit of God and the conviction that He brings. Because as the Word says, we're convicted not just of sin that we might be saved, but of righteousness so that we may live according to His, His purpose and judgment so that we might be eternally established. And so I tell you, heed the words of Amos. Recognize the call of judgment and the great possibility of it for those that have turned their back on God. And keep the faith. Amen? That's my prayer. Let's pray.